So, uh, a few years ago, uh, the BBC did a programme called The 100 Greatest Britons. Not surprisingly, Churchill came top. No, not the talking dog from the insurance adverts. Uh, the Prime Minister during the Second World War, Winston Churchill. But according to recent discovery, uh, it was all a massive mistake. The greatest Britain ever should have been Ricky Gervais, the comedian and writer. Not his contributions to comedy, uh, or acting, or entertainment, but because Ricky Gervais is the only British person ever to keep all the Ten Commandments. Or at least so he claims in an article he wrote uh, around Easter time last year. You may remember Mike mentioned this back at the start of the series. Uh, in the article, uh, Ricky goes through the commandments one by one, and he says how he has managed to keep them all. So how has he managed it? Well, if you look carefully, uh, he conveniently actually doesn't need to keep the first three commandments uh, because he's an atheist. So that's all right. Uh, and the commandments about murder and adultery and stealing and lying, they're all quite easily dealt with. He takes those off. He even claims not to have broken the Tenth Commandment uh, that we heard read just now. And we're going to be concentrating on it over the next few minutes. But the problem is, none of the commandments are really just about these outward actions. They all address the heart attitude that is behind it. And we've been seeing this as we've gone through each commandment, haven't we? But it's, it's a lot easier to focus on what we do, isn't it? In this respect, Ricky Gervais is similar to another rich young man, the one that we heard about in Mark chapter 10 just now. Uh, why not turn back there? It's on page 1020 of the Church Bibles. So this rich man, uh, rich young man comes along, he wants eternal life. And he reckons he's a pretty good candidate for it, because he's kept all the commandments. Or at least he hasn't murdered or committed adultery, stolen or dishonoured his parents. But Jesus quickly sees through him, and he gets to the heart of the issue, which is the man's heart. This man might have done really well with his outward actions, but actually he loves money. And he loves money more than he loves God. And when Jesus gives him a straight choice between the two, the money wins. In putting his desire for, his money, uh, for money first, he breaks not only the first commandment, but the tenth commandment as well. In his heart and his mind, this rich young man covets possessions more than he loves God. You see, the uncomfortable truth of the Tenth Commandment is that it gets right into our hearts. It gets into our minds, our thoughts, our desires. It exposes what we're truly like. It doesn't just challenge what we think or do or say. Uh, what we do or say. It challenges how we think, how we look, how we want things, how we pursue and desire. So this might be an uncomfortable uh, few minutes. But I promise you, that behind this commandment, there's an incredible, a liberating truth. So please do stick around uh, for that. 
So, what is coveting? Commandment says you shall not covet. What exactly is it? Well, it's not a word we use a lot, is it? Uh, There are several different uh, words used in the Bible uh, that could be translated as covet, uh, ranging from uh, the word awa, which is kind of a selfish kind of a desire. Um, There's the word hamad, which is desiring someone else's possessions, um, through to uh, the Greek words uh, uh, epithmia and zelos, uh, which indicate a kind of intense desire, usually focused around money. One scholar describes coveting as a desire for the things of this world that cannot be satisfied and an excessive love of the world. Notice it's not just wanting something, like you feel a bit peckish, so you fancy a quick snack. Coveting is an intense desire. It's something that can't be satisfied. It's an excessive, almost inappropriate love of worldly things. Okay, so what does coveting look like? I just realised I missed out my... That's where we're going, by the way, this morning. So what does coveting look like? Well, let's just look back at the commandment uh, for a second. Uh, In chapter uh, 20, verse 17, page 74 in the Church Bibles. So the Tenth Commandment says, You shall not covet uh, your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So the commandment covers property, it covers family, it covers status, it covers possessions, and it covers livelihood. And just to make sure that we're not tempted to be sneaky about it and try and justify coveting anything else, the commandment says, by the way, you're not to cover anything that is your neighbour's. That's fairly straightforward, isn't it? Don't covet, don't desire things that don't belong to you. I can pretty much sit down now, can't I? The thing is, it's not that straightforward, is it? For several months uh, last year, I was uh, seriously craving a brand new guitar. Uh, My wife uh, spent hours uh, rolling her eyes as I stared at pictures of this guitar on the internet. Uh, I was always trying to work out uh, how long I uh, would need to save up before I could actually get it. I even dreamt about it. The night before I bought it, I was so excited I couldn't sleep. As I was playing it in the guitar shop on the day, uh, I kept kind of just stopping and holding it up and looking at it. The guy in the shop was giving me really weird looks by the end. As I travelled back uh, from town on the bus, I was actually clutching it, I was holding it, just in case anyone was trying, uh, tempted to break the Seventh Commandment and try and steal it from me. Now, it's a very beautiful guitar. But I think I was possibly investing a little bit too much time, energy, and emotion into it. I somehow convinced myself that this uh, collection of wood, metal, and paint could actually make me happy, while life would somehow be complete. The ironic thing is what actually happened was I had several months of being quite miserable and actually depressed. 
Now, that was nothing to do with the guitar, but the guitar couldn't stop it. This thing that I'd invested so much time and energy and hope in, it could do absolutely nothing to help me. In fact, it made things worse. Because I'd spent so much of my, uh, so long thinking about how much better my life would be when I got this thing, that when the reality hit, the guitar just kind of acted as a reminder that I'd been a total idiot. Now, you may not obsess about guitars, but I can guarantee that there will be something in your life that you cover. It may be material, like like a guitar, like money, a nice house. It may be pleasure, sexual gratification, or a fun and enjoyable life, or lots of free time, or amazing holidays. It may be relational, a perfect marriage, beautiful kids, lots of friends. It may be status, success, respect, to be liked, to be funny, to be intelligent, to be wise. So how do we know that we're coveting? How do we know that we've gone beyond thinking that something would be nice to actually kind of full-on coveting it? Well, Thomas Watson, who was a 17th century uh, Puritan preacher, suggested six possible signs of covetousness. Uh, first one is thoughts. When our thoughts are wholly taken up with the things of this world, what do we normally think about? Is it about uh, the stuff that we want, a relationship, success, status, happiness, joy? How much does our thought life actually dwell on God? What about our pursuits? When we pursue the things of this world, but not the things of God. Are we always after the latest gadget uh, or fashions? Do we spend more time trying to get physically fit than reading God's word? Do we pursue success and advancement in our career more than we pursue sharing the good news of Jesus with those around us? Do we, uh, do we long to be increasingly more like Jesus or more like our favourite celebrity, even if that is John Piper? What about what we talk about? Do we always talk about worldly things? What are our conversations like before and after Grace Church and during the week? Do we get embarrassed and feel awkward when people start talking about God and their faith? I wish we could just change the subject. Can't we just talk about the football, Downton Abbey, or the weather? You know, nice, safe British topics. What about sacrifice? When we're willing to part with the eternal things for the sake of worldly things. Are we more willing to part with our money to make our house nicer or to buy something that makes our life easier? But the idea of giving some some of our hard-earned money up for the sake of the gospel or for someone in need, well, we're not sure about that. What about our life? When we're so busy with the things of this world that we have little time for God, little time to pray, little time to read his word, little time to come and serve your church family. In the battle between your life, your job, your hobbies, your free time and your faith, 
it's your faith the thing that always loses. The first thing to get dropped when life is busy and time is tight. And what about our hearts? When our heart is so set upon the things of this world, we will actually resort to anything to get it. Including lies, theft, fraud, and anything unlawful. And I guess most of us are probably quite subtle about this. But do we pretend that we're busier than we actually are to people so that they don't question our use of time? Or do we pretend to be godlier people than we actually are? Because we want people to look up to us and respect us. Do we lie about our lives because we covet people's opinions of us? Okay, so if that's what coveting is, well, why is it so dangerous? Well, coveting is dangerous because it's actually idolatry. Paul makes this really explicit in his letters. Not once, but twice, he says, covetousness is the same as idolatry. In Ephesians 5 verse 5 and Colossians 3 verse 5, coveting comes from exactly the same place as idolatry. That is to put something else in God's place. And this is the way that it works. If the Lord is the mighty God who rescues his people from slavery, and if the earth is the Lord's and everything in it is his too, well that means that God is well capable of giving us anything and everything that he wants to. Good looks, sense of humour, intelligence, a nice house, a good job, money, health, lots of friends, a husband or wife, those perfect kids, the money to get that brand new games console. Guys, I'm looking at you here. Those shoes or that handbag. If we don't have those things, it's because God it's not because God has forgotten, because he somehow overlooks it. God has clearly decided we don't need those things. They might not be good for us, but we need to wait some time. See, coveting denies that God is God, and it seeks to place ourselves in his uh, place instead. See, to covet, to intensely desire what God has deliberately not given us, or has given to someone else, we effectively say that God is wrong to deny us what we want. Or that he didn't make us as he should have done. In doing this, we deny God's status as the one true God who made us. We want to be in charge. We want to be God. We want to decide who we are, the circumstances of our life, what we do, and what we have. And so we look elsewhere. We look away from God to give us what only he can give. And in the Bible, we get perhaps the clearest example of this in Genesis chapter 3. So let's have another look at that. It's back on page 3 of the church Bibles. So the background, Genesis 3, God has placed the first man and the first woman in this amazing place. And there's just one simple commandment that they need to observe. Don't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Simple. 
in verse 1 of chapter 3, the sneaky serpent comes along and he starts planting all these doubts in their mind. Did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? No, he didn't. He said, don't eat from just one tree because it's deadly. You won't die. You'll just become like the God, says the serpent. And so by verse 6, the woman looks longingly at the fruit. The fruit, the only tree that God said that they must not eat from. She sees that it was good for food. It's a delight to the eyes. And the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And so she takes and eats it. And everything falls apart. You see, the problem for humanity started long before Eve actually reached out and took that fruit, took that fateful bite. The problem began in the heart when God's command was ignored. When the first humans coveted being wise, they coveted being like God. And so they coveted the fruit. The problem started because they forgot that a good God had given them a whole garden full of fruit trees that looked really good and were good for food. We see that back in Genesis uh, 2 verse 9. They forgot that God wasn't keeping things from them. He was the one who made the whole world. He gave it to them to enjoy. He was the one who put the tree of life there in the garden. You know, the one where you can eat the fruit and live forever? But which tree did they desire? Which fruit did they covet? The one that God told them to avoid. The one that they thought would put them in charge of what was right and wrong. The one that they thought would make them like God. And in this way, in this respect, coveting actually lies behind all of the Ten Commandments, not just the tenth. Coveting is exactly the same as the idolatry that God forbids in the first commandment. Why not turn back to page uh, 73 in your Bibles and the Ten Commandments there. The first commandment, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. But that's exactly what coveting does. It puts me at the centre of everything. It says that the world should actually revolve around me and I should have whatever I want. Coveting says that the earth and everything in it is not the Lord's, it's mine. And so people make themselves God. People decide for themselves how they want to worship God or use his name. People worship work instead of resting and worshipping God. People dishonour their parents, they hate and murder, they commit adultery, they steal, lie, cheat and crave what isn't theirs because they covet. Coveting lies behind all the commandments. We break them because we place all of our covetous desires, all the things that we want and therefore ourselves before God. And coveting is the enemy of faith. See, coveting is about desiring what you don't have. Faith is about trusting that what God has given you is enough. Covetousness is about desperately wanting the things of this world. 
Faith is about trusting in God's promise of a far better world to come. Coveting is about thinking that the things of this world can offer you joy, happiness, peace, significance, fulfillment, satisfaction, security, rest, and life as it's meant to be lived. Faith is knowing that only the Lord God gives us all these things and more in Jesus Christ. One writer commented, you may as well bid an elephant fly in the air as a covetous man live by faith. So if coveting is so dangerous, why do we do it? Why do we covet? On a level, we covet because actually we're not satisfied with our lives as they are. We believe we're not somehow complete without whatever it is that we desire. Although what we, what we desire is better than what we have right now. We convince ourselves that we, we somehow can't fully exist without it. But what's going on in our hearts? Why do we think that, that stuff, that the, the things of this world can make our lives so much better? Why do we so strongly desire and crave worldly things? Well, we covet because we don't trust that God is loving and good. Like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we covet the things of this world because we don't actually trust that God is loving and good. We don't trust that he has our best interests at heart. We believe he's unfairly holding good things back from us. When I was a kid uh, and I wanted something from my parents, I always started by saying, Mom, Dad, you know how you really love me and only want the best for me? I was kind of joking, but I was also kind of trying to make them feel as though they had to prove their love for me by giving me exactly what I wanted which was usually uh, Lego or a guitar. Our times have changed. (laughs) But I think we treat God in the same kind of way. When we see something that we believe that would be really good for us, we struggle to understand why God does not let us have it. Which leads us to question God's wisdom and his love for us. We don't quite fully trust that God is a loving Heavenly Father who knows what we need far better than we do and who loves to give his children good gifts. We focus on what we don't have rather than what we do have and we forget that God is the source of every good and perfect gift that we enjoy. And we don't trust that the Father who graciously gave up Uh, his only beloved son, will graciously give us all things. We covet because we don't trust that God is loving and good. And we covet because we don't trust that God is enough. We covet being educated, being clever and wise in the things of this world because we don't trust that in Christ we have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We covet being successful, having status, being someone, because we don't trust that in Christ we have been declared righteous and adopted into the family of God. We're called co-heirs with Christ. 
We cover being wealthy and secure because we don't trust that in Christ we have an eternal inheritance that can never ever perish or fade. We covet because we don't trust that in Christ and in his kingdom we have a treasure that is worth far more than anything else. We covet because we don't trust that even if you could literally own the entire world and yet forfeit your soul, not having Jesus, you would have a rubbish deal. We covet because we don't trust that God is enough. He provides for all our needs now, and he's provided for our eternity. We covet because we are actually far too tied to the things of this world, far too consumed with the here and now. We value our lives, we value our stuff way too much, far more than the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. We covet because we don't trust that God is enough. In our series so far, uh, for every commandment, you shall not. We've looked at the positive side of the commandments here. And the amazing truth, the liberating freedom behind this commandment, behind you shall not cover, is that we have a good and loving God who is more than enough. We don't need to cover because uh, we don't. Uh, we don't need to cover what we don't have because what we do have is so much better. We can know that God is wise, loving and good. And so he's given us. Uh, uh, we can trust in whatever he's given us. It is enough. It's exactly what we need. And so what's the positive side of the commandment? It's be content and be thankful. Be content and be thankful. If we're truly content and thankful to God for all that he's given us already, or we won't cover what we don't have. Okay, so how do we get there? How do we get from coveting to contentment? Well, this is part where we get practical. Uh, Here's some practical advice uh, from wise people on the internet on how to be content in your situation. That mainly seems to be about relationships. Uh, Anita, age nine, says, It's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys need someone to clean up after them. Freddie, age six, says, No age is good to get married at. You've got to be a fool to get married. And Ricky, age ten, recommends, Tell your wife that, that she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck. well maybe that wasn't so helpful in the long run earlier we had uh, six signs of covetousness so here uh, are six ways to be content and to be thankful the first one is ask question yourself challenge your heart and your desires. Ask yourself, why do I want this thing? Or even, why do I want this thing so much? Is it because I believe that this thing will give me the deep joy, of satisfaction, completion, status, security that only comes in Jesus Christ? And ask God. 
Jesus shows God to be a loving Heavenly Father who loves to give his children good gifts. That means we can ask him for things. If there's something good that you really desire, why not come to our generous Heavenly Father and ask him? He may say no. He may say not yet. In which case we have to trust in his goodness and his love and know that uh, this is what is right for us right at that moment. Or God may say yes. And then you can enjoy whatever it is as God's good gift to you and give thanks to him for his goodness. We'll come back to that a bit later. Uh, Second thing is to help. In the New Testament, one of the purposes of the church is to encourage and spur one another on in the Christian life. And so do we actually encourage and help each other to be content? In our conversations with each other, do we encourage each other to be discontent by always talking about our possessions? Or if, if you're married, do you encourage single people here uh, to be discontent by always talking about how wonderful and it is to be married and how you wish everyone could find happiness just like you have? Or do you always seek to draw attention to yourself, uh, your talents, your magnetic personality, your fantastic sense of humour? Do you long for people to look at you and say, I wish I was like them? Aren't they a great person? Are we just encouraging people to cover who we are? And when we're talking with each other, do we talk more about our stuff, our lives, our families, our jobs, than about the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ? We should help each other. We should challenge each other's discontent, remind each other of our reality, and remind each other of the gospel. Which conveniently is the next way to contentment. We need to remind. Now let's be realistic. If we're coveting stuff, or a better life, then we need to remind ourselves of the reality of life here in 21st century Britain. We're among the richest, safest, most free, most cared for medically, most well-fed, and best housed few percent of people in the world. The UK has the fifth highest average uh, average wage in the world. Did you know that someone... Over 25 on job seekers' allowance, so uh, not very well off in UK terms, but they still earn more than the average wage in Moldova, Mongolia, Syria, Kyrgyzstan, India, the Philippines, Pakistan, and Tajikistan. And that's just the countries that we have statistics for. In 1 Timothy 6, the Apostle Paul says, Now there's great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Am I content when I remember that I have far more than just food and clothing? No. I get ridiculously frustrated and angry every time um, our broadband goes down in the middle of trying to watch something on iPlayer. Start it again! If that's a measure of my problems, it's nothing. And that's just on a human material level. When we're coveting, we need to remind ourselves and each other of the truth of the gospel and apply it to this area of our lives. 
We need reminding that God is good, perfect, loving, wise and generous. We need reminding that coveting is based on a lie. The lie that whatever we covet can make us whole, can make us happy, can make us satisfied, can make us someone. We need reminding that coveting is wicked, offensive and deeply painful to God. We need reminding that in Jesus Christ we have greater blessings than anything that this world could offer. We have peace with God. We have forgiveness for our offence against him. We have life eternal. We have hope of a glorious new world to come. And if we are coveting, well, we need reminding of God's grace and forgiveness. It would be all too easy to leave here today having heard this talk and feeling completely crushed. Because if you're anything like me, you spend a huge part of your life coveting. Well, remember the rich young man back in Mark 10. Jesus looked at that idolater, that coveter, and he loves him. Jesus called him to come and follow him, to turn from his idol of money, to turn from his covetousness, and to follow the Lord who loved him. So if we're people who are consumed by coveting, well, we need to remind ourselves, Jesus came to save people who covet. We need to turn away from our coveting and turn to the good and loving God who forgives and provides. We need to thank. How often are we actually thankful for what our good God has given us? I don't just mean a quick grace before you start eating your meal. Are you truly thankful to God for the place that you live in, for the car that you drive, for the gifts and the abilities that uh, enable you to do the job or the university course that you do? Are you thankful to God for the energy that he gives you to run around after lots of kids and look after them? Are you thankful to God that he made a world where sport, music, drama, comedy is even possible? Are you thankful to God that he's created a world and people who can make simply stunning technology like planes, smartphones, the internet? Are we thankful for the good relationships that we do have? Family, good friends, our church family. I think we often treat God like Bart Simpson does. When asked to give thanks for the food, he prayed, Dear God, we paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. But that's to hopelessly misunderstand that because God made everything, he's behind every good thing that we enjoy. God is even at work right now, sustaining our very existence. We actually shouldn't be able to take a breath without thanking him for his goodness to us. We need to enjoy Sometimes people think that Christians are a miserable, miserable bunch. We don't like or approve of anything. And sometimes Christians do a pretty good job of giving that impression too. But it shouldn't be the case. We should be people of joy. That's not being falsely happy, but a deep joy. 
and people who clearly enjoy the good things in this world. In 1 Timothy 4, the Apostle Paul talks about some really miserable people who forbid marriage and require other people not to eat certain foods. He calls them liars, really holding back there, and says that God created these things to be received with thanksgiving by those who know and believe the truth. He says, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. In other words, if we're thankful for what God has given us, if we recognise it has come from him, then there's a good and right place for us to freely enjoy God's good gifts to us. So I think this means that it's okay to spend your money sometimes. It's okay to buy nice things. God has given you the money, uh, God has given you the money he's given you. And yes, he wants us to be generous with it. And yes, he wants to be us to give sacrificially. But there's also a good and right place to enjoy what God has given you. With thankfulness. And so that means sometimes I stress sometimes to the big spenders in the room like me. Sometimes it's okay to buy that video game, that DVD box set, that car, those shoes, that pretty dress, that handbag, even that Lego model and that guitar. Because you can receive it as something good created by God and give thanks to God for his goodness and his generosity to you. And the final thing we should covet. Hang on a minute. (laughs) Haven't I just spent far too long saying that we shouldn't covet things? How can I now say that we should covet? Let me explain. The Tenth Commandment says that we shouldn't covet things that belong to others. Possessions, life, status. And if you take that in the widest possible sense... It means that we shouldn't excessively desire and pursue anything that God has not given us. But the Bible does talk positively about coveting. In Psalm 19, uh, it said that the rules of the Lord are more desirable than gold. And the Hebrew word translated desirable could equally read covetable. The rules of the Lord are covetable. The Apostle Paul says that we should covet, we should earnestly desire certain spiritual gifts. See, the difference is, we should covet what God has given us. We should covet and long for what God has promised. We should covet what God desires. We should covet what is good, what honours and glorifies the Lord God. We should desire that he alone is worshipped and adored as the one true God in our lives. We should covet what benefits and blesses our neighbour. We should desire their very best, not their stuff. We should covet our growth in godliness, our transformation into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We should covet increasing uh, faith and hope and love as we are doing as a church. We're praying for that as a church this year. We should covet that God alone is first in our lives. We should covet that we should be content and thankful enough to place nothing else and no one else in God's rightful place. 
as we come to the end of our series uh, in the Ten Commandments, one of the amazing things is, if we're truly content, if we're truly thankful for our lives as they are, well, we won't be people who put ourselves before God or worship him or use his name as we see fit. If we're content and thankful with our lives, we'd not be so obsessed with work that we don't keep the Sabbath. We would honour our parents. We wouldn't hate or murder. We wouldn't seek sexual satisfaction outside of marriage. We wouldn't steal or lie or cheat or covet. If we're truly content and thankful in our lives, we would actually keep all of the commandments. And so, you shall not cover anything that is your neighbour's. Instead, let's pursue contentment and thankfulness in the one true, loving and good God who made us, who saved us and who gives us far more than uh, this world could ever give. The Apostle Paul was someone who knew this all too well. He spent years of his life coveting the status of being the most qualified, the most confident, the most righteous person around only to discover that it counted for absolutely nothing in the face of knowing Jesus Christ. This is what he says in Philippians 3. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means... I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You shall not cover anything that is your neighbour's. Instead, pursue contentment and thankfulness in the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Just imagine what a beautiful world it would be if people were truly content and thankful. What a beautiful place the church would be. What a beautiful place Grace Church would be if we were truly content and thankful in God. So let's be people who pursue contentment, who pursue thankfulness in Jesus Christ, who pursue the joy, the peace, the satisfaction, the purpose, the status, the security, the eternal life that comes only through knowing and following him. Let's pray. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Lord, that's our prayer this morning. 
that we would know the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. That we would be content. That we would be thankful in all that you have given us. And that we would cover only to know you more. To love you more. And for our lives to reflect what you have done for us. In Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour. Amen. Um.